Please open your Bible to Exodus chapter 29. Exodus chapter 29. We're going to be looking at uh, the last verses of this chapter, verses 36 through 46. And the title of this section of Scripture that I've given it is The Benefits of the Priesthood. And so as you find your place there, Exodus chapter 29, beginning in verse 36. And thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering for atonement. And thou shalt cleanse the altar when thou hast made an atonement for it. And thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy. Now, this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, the other lamb thou shalt offer at even. And with the one lamb, a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil and the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer at even and shalt do thereunto according to the meat offering of the morning, according to the drink offering thereof for a sweet savor an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it is our sincere desire to understand your word and to discern the application that it has to our spiritual life as New Testament believers Lord, as we are separated by the centuries from this text of Scripture, Lord, we realize that your spiritual truth transcends all that time and that you, Lord, have inspired this text and that you have placed it in your holy word and preserved it for us today for our sanctification, for our edification. And I pray and ask, Lord, that you would help me to accurately interpret this text and to accurately apply it to our lives today. God, help us to discover the benefits of the priesthood. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we come to Exodus chapter 29, this is not uh, typically the type of message that you would hear if you were going to a Bible conference. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we like to cherry-pick the texts of Scripture that just have a plain meaning to them and speak about directly to the issues of the Christian life. But because of our belief in Scripture that every word is inspired by God and therefore it is profitable to us, we do the work as a church of working our way through the scriptures. And in doing so, we don't skip over the hard text or the text that seem to be difficult or complex. And so we come to a text like this and we dig into it to understand what the purpose of it is. What's the meaning of it? It's got to be more than just history. It's got to be more than just protocol and precept for the Levitical priest. There has to be something in here for us 
or God would not have put it in the Bible. Uh, as uh, I had mentioned before, Exodus 28 and 29 is speaking about the priest. God is instituting a priesthood in Israel as he is establishing a nation and he is outlining that through his spokesman Moses and so Moses is giving instruction to the Levites as to how they are to be priests and what they are to wear and what they are to do. Uh, this is the third message from Exodus chapter 29, but unfortunately I was not able to preach these sermons consecutively. As I looked back over my preaching calendar, I discovered that I preached the very first sermon from this chapter on November the 13th. And uh, that uh, was uh, simply entitled The Priesthood from verses 1 through 9. After that, if you remember, we had community Thanksgiving service at Freedom Tabernacle. And so I preached the second message on the three offerings from verses 10 through 35 on November the 27th. And then we had all of our Christmas activities and events. We had plays and we had special services and we had some Sundays where we didn't have an evening service. And so well over a month has passed since the last message that we had from this text. And for that reason, I, I want us to review uh, the previous messages in order to see how they are all connected together in this one chapter of Scripture. First, we saw the eight distinctives of the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, which shed some light on the priesthood of New Testament believers. And so, let me just give you this statement before we get into that. When we are talking about the priesthood, in the Old Testament, it was one select group. It was the tribe of Levi who were the priests. That was a prefigurement, not just of the priestly ministry of Christ, but also of the priestly position of every New Testament believer. In the Old Testament, there was an impediment between God and man, and because their sins were not washed away, they had to have an intermediary. They had to have this priesthood who made offerings and intercession on behalf of the people, but the people did not have direct access to God. Jesus comes and he is the ultimate sacrifice and he is the great high priest. And so he removed every impediment between man and God so that we now have direct access to God. And the New Testament says that every believer is a priest in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it is one of the historic Baptist distinctives that we believe in the priesthood of every believer. We don't believe in a priesthood and a, and a laity, a clergy and a laity. Now, we understand that the person in the pew has as much access to God as the man in the pulpit. There is no special dispensation for a preacher or deacon or missionary that has more clout with God. Every single believer is a priest with God in Jesus Christ. And so as we looked at this text of scripture we began by seeing some distinctives about the Old Testament priests that correlate to distinctives with us. Uh, we saw that they are hallowed, they are holy, they are servants, they are washed, they are robed, they are crowned, they are anointed, they are sealed, and they are consecrated. And so in those first nine verses of the chapter, God lays these distinctives out of the priests and he tells us that they are all of these things. And then in verses 10 through 35, we studied the three 
offerings for the priesthood. And so Moses instructs them and says, okay, this is the distinctions of your priesthood, but now there are some offerings that are to be made for each and every priest. There was a sin offering. That sin offering is associated with salvation. There must be an offering for sin. The second was the burnt offering, which was associated with sacrifice. A sacrifice must be made. And then the third offering was the consecration offering, which was associated with service. They were being consecrated to the service of God. These offerings were required for the priesthood of the Old Testament to be able to serve God in the office of a priest. So if they were going to serve God in the office of the priest, they could not do it without those three offerings. And uh, so they had to make those offerings and we saw that in Jesus Christ he is the complete threefold offering for the New Testament priesthood of every believer what the blood of bulls and rams and lambs could not do the blood of Christ did once for all and so just like that Old Testament priest you and I cannot come into the priesthood of God without the sacrifice and the sacrifice is Christ. And so today, in verses 36 through 46, we're going to consider the benefits of the priesthood. You see, as we read about this uh, priesthood designation, distinction, in the Old Testament, we discover that the priests in the Old Testament were not given certain privileges or benefits that everybody else in Israel were given. Uh, for one major one, they were not given their own private land like the rest of the population. The Levites had no right to private land. They were not to own their own private land. Now, God sectioned out some cities for them to live in collectively, but he didn't give them their own private land. The tribal Levi was not given a portion of land like the other 11 tribes. In fact... God had to divide the tribe of Joseph by his two sons uh, so that he could keep the 12 portions consistently. If you look at an old map of Israel, you will see that there are regions belonging to Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, but you will not see a region of Joseph. You will not see a region of Levi. All the others are there, Dan, Asher, Judah, Nephali, uh, but then we don't see Levi and we don't see Joseph because it is actually named for Joseph's two sons, so that there's this consistency of this division by 12, even though the Levites don't get their own section of land. And so if they are losing something by being priests, what is the benefit of being a priest? Why would they want that? Why would that be a position, a privilege? And, and so if you're going to lose out on private ownership of land and the ability to be individually industrious... So as you think about that, it wasn't just the fact that you didn't get to own your own piece of land. You didn't get to be individually industrious. You were living off of the offerings of other people. You didn't have the opportunity uh, to invest in your own herd and to grow your own crop and to produce your own things. What would you get in return? What does God give to the Levites since he's taken something away from them? As always, the answer is in the text. And so, 
Number one, they were sanctified by God. Look at a couple of different verses with me, if you would. Let's begin in verse 32. It says, Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall eat those things wherewith the atonement was made to consecrate and to, look at this next word, sanctify them. But a stranger shall not eat thereof because they are holy. And so we're looking at this word sanctify. Again, verses 36 and 37. Uh, thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offering for atonement. Thou shalt cleanse the altar. When thou hast made an atonement for it, thou shalt anoint it to sanctify it. Verse 37, seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it. And it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. And then if you drop down to verses 43 and 44, we will find the word sanctify yet again. It says, There will I meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And so we've got this repeated use of the word sanctify in these verses in reference to the priesthood. Sanctify means to set apart for a special purpose. It is the idea of taking something out of common use and setting it apart for the specific service of God. As you think about what we've seen about uh, sanctification previously in Exodus, there were certain instruments that were sanctified. There were some bowls that were sanctified. There were some spoons that were sanctified. There were some pieces of furniture that were sanctified. What does it mean that they're sanctified? Well, what it means is you would find something like that in every person's home. You would find a table. You would find bowls. You would find these, these instruments, uh, spoons, and these types of things. But these were set apart for the house of God. These were set apart for the tabernacle of God. They were not to be used in anybody's house or for anything else. Remember this? Uh, remember in the book of Daniel uh, when the king decided that he was going to bring in the cups from the temple of Jerusalem and have a party and drink out of them. And as soon as he does, a hand appears and begins to write on the wall, meeny, meeny, tinky, uh, whatever else it says, I don't remember. And, uh, and uh, it, it, when it's interpreted, you've been weighed and found wanting. Why? Because he violated those sanctified elements that had been set apart for the use of God. So God's serious about this sanctification thing. But it's not just those elements or instruments that are sanctified, the priests were sanctified. They were set apart from the rest of the people in Israel for God's special purpose. And so God said, I'm going to select you and I'm going to take you out of the common life that everybody else lives and I'm going to set you apart for my special purpose. Notice that not only were the priests set apart, but so was the altar and the tabernacle, which means that not only were the priests set apart, but so was the work that they did. 
Not only were they sanctified, but the things that they got to work in and work with and work around were also sanctified. Uh, the closest illustration that I, I could think to this it would be like, uh, uh, like if you knew someone or you yourself have some fine china and some sterling silverware and it stays in the display cabinet most of the year. But on special occasions, you bring it out. Or when you have special guests, you bring it out. It's not for everyday use. Kids, you do not get to use these dishes for your Pop-Tarts. This is only when we have Christmas or Thanksgiving or we have guests coming over. However, it is much more useful than just a display piece. This idea of sanctification and setting apart is more than... It just gets brought out on special occasion and it's meant to look pretty the rest of the time. It is more like a craftsman's tools, right? Uh, you know, if you're a craftsman and, and you, you make your living, your, your livelihood out of your craft, and then you're going to have some tools, some special tools that you use for that that you don't use for anything else. And you may have some tools in your garage or in your toolbox that, that you don't mind if anybody uses. But those tools that you use for your craft to make your living are set apart. They are only used by the master craftsman for his work. That, to me, is the idea of what it means to be sanctified it is not that we are just display pieces for God that are used occasionally, but it is more like we are his special instruments that have been crafted to perform the specific job that the master craftsman wants to do. And he doesn't use them for anything else. He uses them exclusively for that purpose. This truly is a benefit. Think about it. It was the Levites who were selected and set apart by God for his work on earth. Out of all the people on planet earth, God chose the nation of Israel. And of all the people of the nation of Israel, he chose the tribe of Levi. And out of all the tribe of Levi, he chose those priests. And he says, I've set you apart. You've got a special purpose I'm going to use you to accomplish the work that I want you to accomplish. And you're so special to me, and this, this work is so special to me, that I'm not going to let you do what everybody else does. I'm going to keep you in this track and for this purpose. And yet, it is the benefit of every believer. You see, in our day and time, it is not just... Out of all the world, we have this select group of Christians. And then out of all the Christians, we've got this select group of sanctified ones that are used for the work of God. No, in the New Testament, it is every believer in Christ who is sanctified and set apart. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, this is interesting. Uh, hold your place there and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What do you know about the church at Corinth? Like, what's the thing that stands out to you? You can say it. Anybody? Does the word carnal come to mind? Like they're not the most spiritual church in the New Testament. Really, if you just read the New Testament, the Corinthian church is the one with the most problems. 
the most problems. Look how the letter to the Corinthian church begins. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God to Sosthenes and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are what? In who? In Christ Jesus. You see, that's what sanctifies us. Called to be saints, set apart ones, with all that in every place shall call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. What is it that sanctifies the New Testament believer? It is our position in Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God takes us out of the common purpose of the world and he sets us apart for his special and specific purpose. Not just the preachers, not just the missionaries, not just the theologians, not just those who carry some sort of title, but every single believer, everyone who has trusted Christ. Truly, that was a benefit of the Old Testament priest, and it is the benefit of every New Testament believer. Back to our text in Exodus 29, uh, the second benefit that we discover is that they were servants of God. They were servants of God. Back in our text, Exodus 29, the verse 38, describes the service. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar. Two lambs, first year, day by day, continually. The one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning, the other lamb thou shalt offer in the evening. And with the one lamb, a tenth deal flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil and the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb thou shalt offer at evening and shalt do thereunto according to the meat offering of the morning, according to the drink offering thereof for a sweet savor and offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations. Did you notice that? It's supposed to happen every day, morning and evening, continually. This is describing the service of the priests. That was another benefit. It was that the priests were employed in the service of God. What did they get to spend their day doing? They didn't spend their day doing what everybody else spent their day doing. They got to spend their day in the service to the Lord. Morning, evening, day after day, year after year, generation after generation. Think about it. While everyone, everybody else is working for someone else, or at best, they're working for themselves. The Levites, the priests, got to work for God. They got to work for God. You know, as you think about it, the same is true today. Most of us spend our lives working for somebody else, right? Somebody else's company, somebody else's contract, somebody else's vision, somebody else's rules, somebody else's policies. Most of us spend our days working for somebody else. A few branch out, start their own business. They work for themselves, but... If you've ever worked for yourself, you find that you don't just work for yourself. You work for a lot of people, and there's a lot of demands there. And sometimes our greatest frustration is working for other people, isn't it? And yet God selected these priests, and he says, I'm not going to have you work for other people. I'm not going to have you work for yourself. I'm going to have you work for me. I'm going to employ you in my business on earth. Everybody else in Israel was spending their lives working on temporal endeavors. 
temporal endeavors. Think about all the work that was done at that time, all the work that is done now. It lasts anywhere from hours to, at the most, years. If you're a cook, your work lasts maybe for some hours, maybe even shorter, doesn't it? You spend your time prepping that food, cooking that food, you serve that food, that food is consumed. Where is it now? It is gone. It didn't last very long. Perhaps if you're in building, construction, something else, you might, you might create a product that lasts for years. But we know, what we know about the nature of things is it wears out, it gets used up, it gets torn down, it gets thrown away, it gets consumed. And so all the work that everybody else is doing is temporal work. They're working at something that is not going to last. But the priesthood got to work on the eternal. They got to make offerings on behalf of eternal souls to an eternal God, making an eternal difference. What they were doing, yes, still had similarities in that they were preparing offerings that would be burnt up by the fire. They were making bread that would be set out for a while and put away. They were burning incense that would expire and be consumed after a while. But all of that had an eternal purpose, and they were mediating on behalf of eternal souls. Souls, the souls of men and women that would live on long after their body expires. And they're ministering to an eternal God. And they are making an eternal difference. And so God gave them this benefit of being his servants. Do you know that recent surveys have shown that young people entering the workforce today rank as the highest desire in looking for a career, a job that makes a difference. And that's changed at times. And that's not to say that, that this generation is more noble than others. But I do think that it is an indication that God has put something deep in the soul of every human being that we want to make a difference with our lives. We don't want to spend our days on something that doesn't make a difference. It's a reflection of the eternal purpose that God has put in our hearts that we want to work at something that makes a real difference. Interestingly, psychologically, you know, during the Second World War and the concentration camps, the Nazis performed all kinds of hideous experiments on human beings to see, to document. And do you know what one of the forms of torture was that they would use? It was moving a pile of rocks for no reason. And so they would make those prisoners move this pile of rocks across the road today. And tomorrow they'd make them move them back. And they said that people literally went crazy because they were doing a work that had no purpose to it at all. And while that's an extreme and really a sad illustration, it really tells the truth about the human heart that we want to do a work that makes a difference, that has a purpose, that has an impact. And the priests had the privilege of doing that. That they knew that what they were doing was making a difference. 
the corresponding truth is that every New Testament believer is employed in the service of God. That thrills me to think that it's not just a few Christians who get to work in the eternal purpose of God, but every New Testament believer is employed in the service of God. That if you have trusted Christ, it doesn't matter what your day job is, you are a servant of the Lord where the Lord wants you, and you are doing, can, can do, an eternal work. Think about verses like uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 9 that says we are laborers together with God. You and I get to enter into an eternal work with God. I think about what Jesus said in uh, Matthew 9, 37 and 38. He said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. God is looking for those who will serve in his eternal purpose. And while we may not think that we are employed in the service of God when we're going to work at our school or the hospital or the factory or wherever our day job takes us, the fact is you are an ambassador for Christ. And you have been set apart for God's service and He can use you right where you are to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. He has given you the opportunity and the power to witness to others and you don't have to have a theological degree to lead someone else to Christ you do not have to have a seminary education to pray for someone else you do not have to have an ordination certificate to be a minister to your co-worker who is going through a difficult time all you have to do is point them to Jesus and to be the mouthpiece of the Lord that he wants you to be. And so the benefits are enumerated. They are sanctified by God. They were servants of God. And then third, they were spoken to by God. I love this. Exodus twenty nine forty two. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations... At the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak there unto thee. He goes on, and I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory, and I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. The final benefit of the Old Testament priesthood is that they were spoken to by God. God said, I will meet them there at the door of the tabernacle, and I will speak to them. And as he says that he will speak to them, he goes on to say, I will meet with them, I will dwell with them, and they shall know me. Can I tell you, this was a special privilege of the priesthood. They got to hear from God in a way that the rest of the people did not get to hear. 
I'm reminded of Romans 3 when the Apostle Paul is, is, is answering the, the argument that he know would come from the Jews as he is addressing this salvation that is for Jew and for Gentile. And, 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 and he, he, he lays out this argument and he says, Will you say that, that if all have sinned and, and that their salvation is the same for Jew and Gentile, then what in the world is the purpose in being a Jew? What is the privilege? What is the benefit of being a Jew and he answers the argument he says well there are many in every way but the chiefest chiefly is that to you were given the words of God let me tell you something that's a privilege it's a privilege to be spoken to by God as New Testament believers we are priests with God First Peter says that, that we are a chosen generation, that we are a royal priesthood. Revelation 1 verses, uh, verses 5 and 6 say that we have been washed in his blood and that he has made us kings and priests with our God. And so like those Old Testament priests, they had a benefit of being spoken to by God. One of the benefits that we have as New Testament priests is that we have been spoken to by God. I, I like how Hebrews 1 frames it. It says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Hey, God has spoken to you and I. God the Son came to this earth and spent three and a half years in public ministry and had much of it recorded for you and I so that we have the words of God. 1 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Theonustos, it means that it is breathed out just like air passes over our diaphragm to make verbal and oral sounds. It is the idea that God has expressed his word through holy men of old who pinned it down for our reception. And you might say, but Hasn't God spoken to the believer and the non-believer? I mean, anybody can buy one of these books. You can go to Walmart and you can buy a Bible and they don't even ask you if you're a Christian. So how is it that you would say that we have this special benefit that we are spoken to by God when anybody can pick up a Bible and read it? And I say to you that the answer is yes and no. Yes, the Bible is available to all, but it is not discernible by all. Only believers are given the spiritual discernment to understand. Would you leave Exodus and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We know that the Old Testament priesthood had this benefit. God said, I will meet with them at the tabernacle and I will speak to them there. And I am making the case that you and I have the same benefit that we are spoken to by God because we are priests with God. 
And the way that God speaks to us is through his word. But if a person is not saved, they do not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them, and they do not have the illumination of the Holy Spirit to help them understand the word. God describes this in 1 Corinthians 2, verses, beginning in verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. So listen to that. He's saying man can't even imagine what God has prepared for them. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Now the question is, who are us? Is Paul speaking collectively for all mankind? He's revealed them to all mankind by putting it in Scripture. Or is he speaking about a more specific group of us? That specific group being believers. We must read on to see. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So follow the logic. He says nobody actually knows what's in your heart except for you. I can imagine what you're thinking, but I don't know what you're thinking. Only you know what you're thinking. He said, the same is true. You cannot know what is in the heart and mind of God. You can try to imagine it, but you don't know. Only the Spirit of God knows. He says, but here's the catch. God has given to us his Spirit so that we might freely know what is in the heart of God. It is the Spirit that makes the difference in us receiving, discerning, understanding the Word of God. And then he uh, solidifies this argument in verses 13 and 14. He says, Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Watch this. But the natural man, that is to say the unregenerated man or woman, receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, that's why you can be in a church and you can have two people sharing a Bible. Both looking at the same page, reading the same verse. And one of them is being spoken to by God and the other one's not getting a thing out of it. That's why you can sit in a church or on a platform and you can watch people come in together and go through the same service. And one is engaged and the other one can't wait for it to be over. You say, how can two people be in the same place, looking at the same word, hearing the same messages and the same songs, and one being engaged and the other not? And the answer that Scripture says is the Spirit makes the difference. The unsaved man or woman, they can read the Bible. They can read it as literature, but it does not have the same impact on them that it has on a believer. Because the Holy Spirit, one of his ministries is to illuminate he shines the light for us 
He turns the light on in the darkness so that we can see it. And I don't know if you remember or if you got saved in your adulthood and you can remember back hearing the Bible preached or reading the Bible and thinking, I don't get it. I don't understand this. It doesn't mean that much to me. And then after you got saved, something changed. And all of a sudden, those scriptures that seem to be so dry, so archaic, so meaningless and dull now send a thrill of hope to your soul. They excite you. They stir you. They mean something to you. That is the work of the Spirit of God in your life. And that is the benefit of the priest. You see, these benefits that the priest had in Exodus 29 are the same benefits that have been transferred to you and I as a New Testament priesthood. We are sanctified by God. He's taken us out of that common use and he has set us apart. No matter what your job is, no matter who you are, what your age is, your gender, whatever your lot is in life, if you are saved, God has sanctified you. He has set you apart for his special purpose. You are employed in the service of God. It doesn't matter what your career is, what your job is. God is using you for his eternal work. And God is speaking to you through his word. And he's given you his Holy Spirit so that you can hear his voice and you can understand his message. Oh, my friends, I don't know of a benefit package that rivals that one. Would you bow with me? Oh, Lord, we are so thankful. We are so thankful to be included in the priesthood of believers. We know that it is not based upon our merit, our performance, or our potential. Because none of those would have achieved any merit with you to receive what you've given to us. But you, Lord, have chosen us. You have saved us. And you have not ordered us in some sort of class system based upon our performance and our productivity. But you have made us all full-fledged priests through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And with that priesthood, you have given us the benefits that come along with it. And so, Father, I pray that as we depart from this gathering tonight, and that as our mind begins to ponder, as it often does in the later hours of the day, I pray, Lord, that we would reflect on the fact that we have many benefits and that you, Lord, treasure us and that you love us and that you have selected us and shaped us for your service. And may we go out tomorrow with renewed vigor and enthusiasm to do your work in whatever area of the world that you have placed us. And Lord, may we see many others come into the priesthood of believers through faith in Jesus Christ and experience the same benefits that we experience. Oh, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.